Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Thank you for joining us on episode 54. Today we're talking all about anxiety. Allie here along with Becky. Hey everyone. And I am super excited to do today's episode as I feel it's a topic that impacts so many of us, yet we all can be hesitant to admit or state the term anxiety, maybe due to shame or truly not taking the time to reflect and label. Yes, and I see this one so often clinically, but usually I don't get an overt answer. Like a patient doesn't say, I'm dealing with anxiety, unless maybe that's the condition bringing them in. Usually it's going into their medication list and kind of reading between the lines and asking a lot of questions about stress, how stress manifests in the body, sleep, asking about ruminating thought. Um, So a lot of times I see that patients don't think it's a relevant conversation to be having with us as dietitians or that there's anything that we can do in terms of diet. Absolutely. And, you know, I think beyond that, just the day-to-day functionality can be improved if we can reduce our anxiety. So even if it's not something that's detrimental or playing a role that's overtly being assessed by the individual or experienced as a problem, there's always ways to improve our mindfulness and feel more relaxed, which generally means better outcomes across the board. (laughs) So with relaxation comes more joy. So that's always a beautiful thing. Sure. So I'm really excited to delve into today's episode and talk to you, Allie, about some of the underlying mechanisms, uh, discuss some of the food as medicine solutions. And I know you have a lot to share with our audience. So let's just go ahead and get started with how you define anxiety. Sure. So, I mean, technically the, the term is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease. And and typically, anxiety-based episodes are on an an imminent event or or something with an uncertain outcome. And it can be seen as apprehension. Now, if this worry or nervousness becomes excessive, where it's occupying our mental space for most days of the week, and it's continuing for more than six months, then this may be diagnosed as generalized anxiety disorder. So some of the symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder can include restlessness or feeling keyed up or on edge, uh, being easily fatigued, having difficulty concentrating, or loss of memory or mind going blank that like, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to be in here to do what type thing. Irritability in general can also be associated with generalized anxiety disorder, muscle tension and or muscle spasms and twitches, uh, even aches from just holding tension in the muscles, and then sleep disturbances. So whether it's difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, restlessness or overall unsatisfying sleep. And like Becky said, these are questions we ask people in their intake. And I think a lot of people would fall with under this criteria. 
Definitely. Once you start asking the questions. Yes. Um, So beyond just these common symptoms, I'd say that a majority of our clients experience at least a couple of these, if not all at some point in time. Um, There are some unknowns with anxiety. Many people who are suffering may avoid social situations, for example, or they might not take advantage of certain opportunities due to worry, um, such as social situations, travel, not taking advantage of a promotion or a new job, or they may spend excessive time on kind of your typical tasks like grocery shopping could feel really overwhelming or driving their car somewhere or getting in the freeway. Yes. And especially when things are pending, I I hear that a lot from clients and, and we talked about this with the, uh, Oh goodness, what episode number was that? The the finding your bliss, <laughs> my recalibration if you will, where we talked about, you know, pending tasks can be the most debilitating with anxiety. So these are the things that loom over us. So even something like you mentioned as simple as grocery shopping, people that deal with severe anxiety, it like hangs over their head like a black cloud, like, "Oh, I have to go grocery shopping." And the build up can be actually more detrimental than the actual activity itself. And so I I really try personally to stay acutely aware of pending and uh, work with lists and kind of acknowledgement and release and scheduling things out so that we can be realistic with ourselves and our expectations and we can release from the unknown. So I think it's definitely things to consider. Yeah, that was episode 43 was living your bliss. And we talk about some techniques to kind of compartmentalize and deal with some of those pending tasks in that episode. Yes. So even you, Allie, experience anxiety (laughs) if you're not kind of checking yourself. (laughs) Uh, Yep, absolutely. (laughs) And you know, I, I think beyond, it's funny. I recently, my recent story of anxiety is, and it, it, it ebbs and flows. I noticed personally some hormonal trends with anxiety. And um, especially if I have missed support with uh, my progesterone, there can be more tendencies towards anxiety. And that's definitely a hormonal correlation of progesterone deficiency or estrogen dominance having more anxiety-like tendencies. So sometimes the day right prior to applying my progesterone, I'll be a little bit more uptight. And it's like, oh, my body needs progesterone. That's one of those aha connections. But as of recent, um, I was taking Stella to a music class. And I mean, I feel grateful in the sense that I've been able to compartmentalize my work schedule and flow to take her to a a music class. So on Wednesdays, I work from 1230 until 7pm. So in the morning hours, I'm able to take her to music. And you know, the last group of music, she was with all these three year old boys. And they were like, you know, three-year-old boys, no inhibitions and just going crazy and not listening to the agenda. And so in that classroom, Stella was just a little gem and she also couldn't walk yet. Well, now she can walk and there's no, there's only one boy in this class and he's like the most mellow child that just like sits by his mama and does everything as requested. And so Stella's like picking up the drums when it's not drum section, (laughs) when it's mellow out time in the class and the piano teacher is playing the piano. Stella walks over to the piano, is touching the keys. And it's just like this constant, like, I feel like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And, you know, everyone's looking at me and I'm the bad mom. And, you know, I'm not really a stay-at-home mom, so I don't really know what I'm doing. And all that stuff kind of unleashes. And so this last class, 
I made myself take a gab at you. <laughs> and I swear it was a whole different ballpark. So, I mean, there's things that we can do. We'll talk about the beauty of gab at you. I know it's one of your favorites too, Becky. But, yes. um, you know, we can experience anxiety even from something joyful, like attending my child's music class, yet based on my biochemistry in that time of the month, based on my stress load, my sleep the night before, I'm going to have different reactivity to it. And sometimes I'll respond with anxiousness and sometimes I'll respond relaxed. And so hopefully today, you guys, um, we can give you all tools to be in the more mellow mode where things don't get us as upset or agitated or irritable. And we have clairvoyance and a calm mental state. So that's the goal. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. So I was just going to say, let's talk about some more of these functional medicine approaches. Yeah. Um, I know at our clinic, we focus on your six foundational R's for managing anxiety. So I'd love for you to define these six R's for listeners, and then let's highlight one or two that we would say are the most important. Okay. So the anti-anxiety functional six R's that we have as far as a foundational protocol are to remove inflammatory foods, reset the gut microbiome, repair the GI lining, restore micronutrient status, rebound the adrenals, and to rebalance our neurotransmitters. So it's a lot of R's. Um, and, you know, the first three are focusing more on the gut because that does play such a role with chronic inflammation, of course. And, um, you know, then, then we're hitting the building blocks, if you will, and, and some of the glands of target. Yeah, so it's a lot of factors, and we could kind of start at any one given place, um, but usually starting with the gut and then getting to the building blocks and then getting into the adrenals and neurotransmitter piece, but it could start kind of at any place in that six R puzzle. Um, so let's talk about just the foundational aspects of an anti-anxiety diet and where to start. Yes. So first things first, we want to start with clean single ingredient whole foods. So when we're looking at starting with a foundation. We want to make sure that we're not eating foods that have high amounts of colorants or irritants. So chemical additives have been shown in research to drive things like ADHD, hyperactivity disorders, and these also in adults can create anxiousness. So starting with clean single ingredient whole foods is your foundation. And then we also want to look at a low glycemic index diet because we do see that blood sugar irregularities also drive symptoms. So too high or too low of blood sugar can drive very similar symptoms to anxiousness. So that's one of our foundational things. So in order to keep glycemic index in check, we want to make sure that we're reducing our carbohydrate intake, pairing all carbs with proteins and healthy fats. So adding in those healthy fats for sure. And then getting enough protein because protein is a contributor towards amino acids. So our amino acids are actually our building blocks to make neurotransmitters. So that is going to be able to create the foundation of the brain chemistry that's needed for sound mood and stability. And then those fats also beyond helping with glycemic index also play a big role with being very grounding. Um, fats can help to balance out our hormones. They can also aid with satiety or satiation and can reduce cravings. And I find that 
when blood sugars are off and cravings are up, that that drives anxiety-like behaviors too. Okay, so a lot of this sounds kind of like the foundational aspects of optimal eating or low glycemic diet that we talk about in a lot of our episodes, if not all of them. Um, but I want to highlight for listeners some of the symptoms of dysglycemia or imbalanced blood sugar. Yeah, so there's totally overlap and parallels that we see. So shakiness, nervousness are two of the main things that we can see. So nervousness is pretty much how I defined anxiety, right? <laughs> so shakiness, nervousness, hunger, uh, irritability, and shortness. And some people call that hanger, right? <laughs> so when hunger and anger blend into a hybrid, we get hanger. Uh, and headaches. So all of these things can be seen with dips in low blood sugar. And then the high blood sugars typically yield more of like fatigue and brain fog or difficulty with concentrating. So both ends of the spectrum though, we can see symptoms of anxiety, often more of the lows. And the deal is you may think that, oh, a lot of people that deal with hypoglycemia or reactive hypoglycemia always feel like they need, just like a diabetic, I need my orange juice, I need my quick acting carbs, otherwise I get into this irritability hanger mode. Well, also you could reduce your body's need and utilization of glucose and or reduce the glycemic index so that you have more of a speed bump shift in your blood sugar metabolism versus these mountain peaks and valleys. Because remember, as high as your glucose peaks, you're going to get an even higher response of insulin, and it's that excessive insulin in these reactive hypoglycemics that dips them too low and creates that anxiety-like tendency. So actually preventing the blood sugar spike in the first place is going to prevent also the blood sugar drop, which causes a lot of these symptoms. Got it. So there's a lot of overlap, but it might even be difficult to distinguish. Am I truly experiencing an emotional anxiety or is it more just what I'm eating? Or it could be a combination of both, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the best place to start is, is create that balanced glycemic index for sure. Okay. And then beyond macros and whole foods, how do we start? Let's talk about addressing the most inflammatory foods in the diet. Yes. So, you know, for those of you that have listened to a couple other episodes, you know that I'm a big proponent of the MRT test, which stands for Mediator Release Test. This is a blood panel that looks at 150 foods and chemicals and looks at your body's inflammatory response specifically to them. And so this is kind of how I use like a GPS for the patients in my clinic. And if dealing with severe anxiety disorder or bipolar or mania, we would definitely want to consider starting with the MRT test. Now for everyone else, what might be the most cost-effective way is to just jumpstart in my foundational five pro-inflammatory foods. And so we're looking at gluten, corn, soy, dairy, and industrialized oils, okay? And so gluten, we'd be watching removal of because the hybridized form of gluten has significantly higher amounts of gliadin. And gliadin is the inflammatory protein particle in gluten grains. Uh, gliadin is high in uh, wheat specifically, especially the short dwarf hybridized form of wheat. And this has been shown to be an obesogenic crop, meaning that it actually causes weight gain and could cause overeating. But beyond that, it can drive dysfunction in the gut and the thyroid. So the gliadin structure actually mimics very much so the thyroid hormone, and this can create confusion within the body and can create autoimmune or inflammatory attack to the thyroid gland. So that's definitely a no-no, and 
hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism can also mimic anxiety significantly. There's a tight correlation there. So definitely want to make sure that the thyroid is in check when we're experiencing symptoms of anxiety. Also on the gut level, gluten can cause more enteropathy or basically damage to the gut or leaky gut. So by removing this, this can make our gut rebound better or be less inflammatory, which means less sensitivity across the board. So gluten, we like to keep out for sure. The next one, yeah, that we want to look at is going to be corn. So corn, we like to remove more because of the toxic byproducts associated with corn. So when we're talking about corn, it's the glycophosate uh, from Roundup. So there's Roundup Ready corn, which is genetically modified to stand up to more application to the glycophosphate, which is the chemical compound in Roundup, which can be a neurological toxin. So that definitely plays a role with mood stability and neuromuscular function. And then the other form of genetically modified corn is an endotoxin, and this is the BT corn. This is the corn that has the compound in it that actually is to explode the guts of the insects that eat it, the, the worms on corn. And so the BT corn has endotoxin, which has been shown to, like I said, perforate the, the bowel or the guts of insects. That's how it kills the insects and works as an insecticide. But that also could play a role on driving our leaky gut as a toxin that is consumed and uh, breaks down on that gut lining. So corn, because of the residual toxins, is something that I definitely recommend keeping out as well. It's pretty scary stuff when we get into guts exploding. Yeah, right? I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then on that same vein, what about the influence of soy? So talking about the thyroid and um, yeah. some of the genetically modified aspect yes. of soy as well. So soy is also a high GMO crop, so it has higher amounts of that glycophosphate residue, so the um, neurotoxins. It is also high in a lot of what are called anti-nutrients. The way that that legume uh, plant is has a lot of protective compounds that block mineral absorption and also can bind, and it can, in that sense, drive mineral deficiencies within the body and then can also cause some GI distress for that reason. It has some estrogenic influences. So as I mentioned before, you know, having estrogen dominance or progesterone deficiency can also drive anxiety. So definitely want to keep estrogenic foods out. And then soy is high in omega-6. So it's more of a pro-inflammatory versus omega-3 anti-inflammatory. And then we mentioned dairy. So let's talk about dairy and the influence of casein, the dairy protein. Yes. So dairy also has the hormonal influence that it can be estrogenic. So that's a trend overlap with the soy. But the casein specifically, there is an anti-casein IgG or a compound that some individuals make that actually battles casein. So this is something you can get tested as a blood test if you feel that you have mood uh, response to dairy, but I guess the first thing to do is just remove it, remove it from the diet and see if you feel better, right? But there has been actually a research study that was done on correlation of the anti-casein IgG and a strong association with bipolar schizophrenic disorder. And um, that's something that, like I said, is a very easy solution of removal, especially if we're dealing with severe mood instability. Okay, and then finally, let's talk about industrialized oils and why these would be problematic. Yeah, so industrialized oils, this is like especially canola oil or uh, vegetable oils, they're going to be high 
in your omega-6s, so they're pro-inflammatory. They also tend to have a really high free radical overload. The way that they're cleaned to make clear oils from a very dirty product, there's a lot of uh, centrifuging, slurrying, chemical hexalents are used in the cleansing process. So there's a lot of byproducts of toxins. And uh, the industrialized oils also tend to have a pretty low smoke point. So this creates more free radicals when they're used improperly, which most of our processed foods use too high of temperatures that are going beyond that smoke point creating oxidative damage. So I like to keep out the industrialized oils as well. So it's the gluten, the corn, soy, dairy, and industrialized oils. Got it. And I think listeners would really expect at least those first three, gluten, corn, and soy, I'm sure they've heard us talk about a lot. Um, but now let's circle back a little bit to dairy because I thought there were some forms of dairy that you prefer over others and that there are some benefits to casein as well as a relaxant or relaxing agent in the body. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I spoke to that when we talked about the benefits of breastfeeding. So casein, absolutely, it it actually hits the opioid receptors and there is varied uh, forms of casein be it the type of cow, so a Jersey cow versus a standard uh, cow that's used more in the conventional milking. And um, casein does have opioid effects and that can be relaxing. However, for those that have that IgG antibody to casein, it's it's safer cost-to-benefit ratio to keep it out because the people that have that antibody get manic-like reactivity to the casein because their immune system goes into this really extreme inflammatory attack mode. So um, when we're talking about different forms of dairy, casein is the highest in cheeses because, you know, the formation of cheese is the separation of the casein and whey. And casein and whey are the two dominant proteins in in cow's milk products and cow's milk. So whey makes up about 20% of the protein in in milk as a liquid, whereas casein is about 80%. So casein is high in dairy milk and cheeses. Um, and then it's, there are some dairy forms that are free of casein, like uh, whey and ghee. Okay. So I was going to ask, um, we're always advocating for our naturally nourished grass fed whey. So where does that fall into this spectrum? Right. So the whey is casein free and it's especially less concerning because our whey is non-denatured. So it's actually therapeutic to the gut. Um, it has some heat-sensitive detoxifying compounds like glutathione, which can help with detoxifying heavy metals, which can drive things like anxiety and neurological dysfunction. And then it has the active immunoglobulins, which can help with relining the gut and support immunoglobulin regulation. So, you know, if you want to be super conservative, you could keep all forms of dairy, including the grass-fed whey out for the first two to three weeks, and then bring in the whey as an independent variable before you would bring in any of the other uh, of the five inflammatory sections of foods in your elimination diet and keep the rest of those out for a full six weeks. So, you know, it's the casein protein that crosses the gut blood barrier and the brain blood barrier. And grass-fed whey, uh, especially ours, which is non-denatured, is much more therapeutic and is free of the casein compound. Okay, so that makes sense, Looking, especially looking at amino acid deficiency and how that can drive neurotransmitter dysfunction. Yes. I think it's more of a cost-benefit relationship here. For sure. I mean, grass-fed whey is the greatest source of, of natural compounds. Like I said, not only glutathione, but L-glutamine and tryptophan. So you're getting all of these amino acids that help to build your feel-good neurotransmitters in a biologically active form. Got it. 
Okay, so now let's talk about dysbiosis and imbalanced gut bacteria briefly. Um, so what's the connection and what's a good starting point for listeners? So the microbiome and the, and the GI tract in general is the manufacturing center control for our neurotransmitters. So we manufacture a majority of our serotonin and GABA in our intestinal tract. And the bacteria state plays a big role in either disrupting or creating optimal function. And so when we're talking about resetting the microbiome as far as a foundational focus of this or, you know, creating good gut microbiome expression, one thing to do is to plow the fields of the GI tract. And so something that I'd recommend to all clients if dealing with anxiety and especially any other signs of dysbiosis, so maybe a moderate amount of bloating or irregularity in the bowel, switching from loose stools to constipation or um, having any GI cramping or dermatological flares like hives, rashes, and such, the best place to start would be with our Beat the Bloat ebook. Uh, so just doing a dysbiosis and or candida cleanse can plow the fields to basically reset the microbiome, and then you can prophylactically add back in the good bacteria to ensure that you're setting up camp of the good guys. And for those of you who are new to our website, to AllieMillerRD.com, just so you know, the Beat the Bloat ebook is located under the Books and Program tab. And this is a 30 plus page ebook that contains information about what dysbiosis is, what candida is, what signs and symptoms might be experienced, how gut bacteria can cause full body imbalance, and then it includes two phases of a cleanse. So the first being that plow the field, as Ali mentioned, and then the second being that restoration and resetting good bacteria. Yes, yeah, so it's all broken down into a 10-week program and has weekly meal plans and recipe suggestions and a grocery list. So I really find it to be a, a very cost-effective way for clients to just get in there and reset and then re-inoculate. Um, and then if they're still having resistance or difficulty tolerating, we might go deeper down the rabbit hole by doing like a three-day stool test to really see what's going on and if there is any pathogens or parasites or, or things that we have to get really aggressive with. Got it. And then that second phase is really where we'd see that rebuild of good bacteria that are going to promote serotonin production. Yeah. It's really important to note that actually some clients do get a little bit more anxiety or mood disturbances during the cleanse, especially as they get into weeks like five and six when they're doing a lot of the antibacterial and antifungal compounds. And that's because they get to this state of sterility where they're really low on their neurotransmitter produce production basically. And so sometimes on an individualized level, we might bring in a probiotic a little bit earlier. We do allow in the protocol to bring in a probiotic as early as week four. So for those of us that are sensitive, we'd want to bring in probiotic food starting at week four and then like a baseline probiotic, maybe even starting at week four. And then at week seven, after the six week cleanse, hit with the bacteria rebuild bundle, which is going to have your kind of full spectrum support of rebuilding all of the compounds to help with the neurotransmitter balance. Got it. And then also, Allie, if folks in, experience a flare or um, worsening of symptoms when they're using a probiotic, that can also be a sign of dysbiosis, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you're not interested in going down into 
the, well, I would definitely, like I said, first check out the ebook, read it, see if it feels like a hit, take the candida quiz in there. And if you feel overwhelmed or not sure that you need to go through a true cleanse, you may consider doing a probiotic challenge. And so this can be done where you take about 15 billion cultures of a 50-50 blend of a lacto and bifido strain probiotic, and you start with 15 billion, and you could do this in three-day increments or one-day increments, where you monitor and watch things like your waist circumference. Um, you can look at your waist circumference from rise to rest, and then the next morning again, and see if there's a variance of greater than two inches. So if you see a, a variance of greater than two inches in your gut without the probiotic, and then when you add in the probiotic, it improves. That's one sign of dysbiosis because the good bacteria is helping to set up good colonization that's improving your microbiome. Now, if you see a, a decline or urgency of stool or a dynamic change when bringing in the probiotic, like more bloating or a battle going on in the belly, then this is a marker of dysbiosis, right? So when we're looking at that, we're actually going to have to starve off the bacteria or plow the fields before we can bring in and um, tolerate the probiotics. So these are all things to consider. And so, you know, seeing if you respond well to probiotic foods and or probiotic supplementation could be a first line of defense before you even do a cleanse, and, and that would be fine. But if you do have a flare or regression or a, a bad response to a probiotic, then that's a stronger indication of need to do a bacterial cleanse. Okay, so I think we've covered the gut portion to an extent. Uh, we've talked about foods to eliminate, and then we've talked about the role of dysbiosis or overgrowth of bad bacteria. Um, I also think that we've covered a lot on adrenal fatigue and that adrenal element of anxiety that was in episode 13 and then the HPA access. I'm sure you guys have heard us talk about over and over. Um, yes. and we have a full episode, episode 11 about the HPA access. Yes. So that would cover our rebound, the adrenals as our R. <laughs> yes. And then let's focus our, our last element here on micronutrients and then genetic SNPs. Yeah, so I think this is some kind of new information for you guys. Um, so let's talk maybe about this, the SNPs first. So um, one of the main ones that's talked about is the MTHFR. So SNPs are single nucleotide polymorphisms, okay? And they're basically genetic mutation. And these are genetic, so they come from mom and dad. Uh, so we have our 23 paired chromosomes and, you know, mom and dad each contribute one um, to make a pair, right? <laughs> and so this is that double helix of our DNA. This is our genetics. And so the genetic SNPs are things that do not change. They are stagnant. They're not dynamic. They're what you're born with. And then your body biochemically is going to have varied expression based on these potential genetic mutations. There is a lot of testing now, whether it's 23andMe or there's so many different labs now, we, we do some through Genova Diagnostics, that can look at these SNPs. And then functional medicine practitioners can use these to help the body to find balance and to support the system. So when we're talking about MTHFR, this one stands for methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase. And so, yeah, a lot of Kind of syllables in there, but basically you may have heard the word folate in there. It, it plays a big role with the utilization of folic acid. 
okay? And MTHFR plays a big role in building or excreting. So it's playing a role with DNA synthesis, building DNA. Uh, it plays a big role with transsulfuration, and then it plays a role with detoxification and homocysteine loads in the body. So it can excrete the excess homocysteine, which is a marker of vascular inflammation. It can also play a role with detoxification. So when we look at people that have the MTHFR mutation, this can play a significant role on our neurotransmitters because it's intimately related to B vitamins. B, that folic acid, is B9. And so when we're talking about, we never call it that though, we call it folic acid. And so when we're talking about our B vitamins, B vitamins can be in a bioactive form, which is a methylated form. So for this sense, a form of folic acid in a supplement could be called folic acid, which is a synthetic, um, or it can be taken in the form of methyl tetrahydrofolate, um, or it might just have methylfolate or methyl 5 folate in there. Same thing with B12. B12 can be taken in varied forms. The cheapest, the one that I do not recommend, is cyanocobalamin which for someone that has an MTHFR mutation could build up into a toxic compound or derivative of cyanide, um, but the methyl form of B12 is methylcobalamin. So, um, you know, in, in the layman, kind of easiest way to explain this is a SNP is a genetic mutation. It can play a role on our biochemical expression and the biggest known one, or MTHFR, can play a role in building or excreting. So people that have genetic mutations, there's a C copy and an A copy. The C677T plays a role in about 60 to 70% of your body's methylation function, whereas the A1298 is about 30%. And then even within these, you can have hetero or homozygous expression, meaning if someone was heterozygous C copy, that would mean that they're functioning at about 70% active functionality because the C copy plays 60 to 70% of the expression and hetero means half of their C copies from either only mom or dad is genetically mutated. So if they were homozygous C copy, they would only be functioning at about 30% methylation because both of those C copies are genetically mutated and that means they don't have that use of that 60 to 70%. So is that a lot of beep boop boop for listeners, Becky? <laughs> That's a lot. Um, so, so it's kind of a spectrum then is what you're saying with the yes. A copy, the C copy, and we could be on a spectrum where, you know, we have a slight impairment in methylation yes. all the way to where we're almost all the way impaired, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And then most important thing to be looking for then in our B vitamins, whether we've had the testing or not, honestly, if you're suspicious that you might have this genetic mutation, looking for those methylated forms of B12 and folate. Right. So, you know, like our, our multi-defense, um, which is our baseline antioxidant uh, prone or antioxidant abundance uh, multivitamin uses all methyl forms. So we would never recommend something that's non-methylated for that reason. Um, and, and that's going to generally help to turn that wheel of the methylation process, which will help to regulate your body's building and excretion pathways. So yeah, if you take a multivitamin at home, homework is to go on there and look and see on your label if you're taking a methylated B12 and methylated and, folate. And even the ones you get at Whole Foods often are in the synthetic form. So that is really the benefit 
beyond of, of using our multi-defense is knowing that it's going to be giving you those methyl donors. Okay. So that's MTHFR. And I know there's a lot of correlation with depression, anxiety, bipolar with the MTHFR mutation. Let's talk also about the role of overmethylation. Yeah. So that's something that I think is really important too. You know, when MTHFR kind of got into the general public speak, and this was probably about three to five years ago, everyone started like overmethylating. And that means that basically like someone would say, oh, well, I'm just going to take this one to five gram methylfolate supplement because that means I'll be able to methylate like on an extreme level. So I'll be building and excreting amazingly, right? And that's kind of the American mentality is like if something's good, more must be better. Um, so we have to watch out there because we can actually overmethylate. Now the amount of methyl donors in, again, like our multi-defense is not by any means a level that's going to overdrive these wheels. So that's definitely a first do no harm approach on a baseline hit. But to take high levels of methylfolate or methylcobalamin um, can actually drive more anxiety, especially if people have another big genetic variant called COMT. So COMT is catecholamine methyltransferase. And, and what this uh, really looks for, our catecholamines are our stress-responding neurotransmitters, okay? So our catecholamines are our epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine. Um, and so when we have COMT variants and we're over-methylating, um, we're spilling all these methyl donors that are getting trapped as overexpression of adrenaline. And so this means that we're not able to excrete or break down the byproducts and we start to have this overexpression of anxiety. Um, you know, adrenaline can be good in some settings, um, but it can also be excess. Think, um, insert the Incredible Hulk, right? <laughs> so if we're feeling like this, like, ah, out of our skin tension, that often happens with overmethylation. So I've actually had um, someone that was taking a high methylfolate supplement, and this was a, a five uh, milligram methylfolate, and, and they uh, said that they were in the grocery store and they, they were just pacing like a lion. <laughs> they were like, I had no idea what I was doing in the grocery store. I mean, I knew I was there at a grocery shop, but I just couldn't even, my mind couldn't even slow down to tell me, like, grab the yogurt. Um, they were just pacing. And so that's a classic, I mean, that's an extreme example but of someone that, that really likely has overmethylated and maybe a COMT variant. So they need some support. And the, the big go-to for those individuals are SAMe, which is S-adenosylmethionine. This is a compound that's made in the liver that helps with production of serotonin and helps with production of more of our inhibitory or balancing compounds and helps to methylate and, and um methylate the COMT variant versus that MTHFR. So it helps to reduce the buildup of the catecholamines. And then also glutathione. Glutathione is a safe way to support the body's process of building or excreting without creating that excessive production of the methylfolate or methylcobalamin. Got it. So I hope we didn't go too deep into those SNPs. Um, <laughs> like, got it, I think. <laughs> I think. I think we got it. Um so beyond just talking about B vitamins as cofactors for activating these neurotransmitters, let's get into some of the amino acids that help us to build our neurotransmitters in the first place. Yes. 
So, you know, when we're talking about the amino acids, we're talking about things like glutamine, tryptophan, tyrosine, and L-theanine, okay? And we do talk a lot about this in episode 35, which is boosting mood with food. Um, but I definitely want to give you guys a little sampling of, of what these compounds can do. So glutamine um, is seen more in our excitatory world of our neurotransmitters. Uh, glutamine can, um, all of these, first off, all of these amino acid compounds come from protein, okay? And so this is why, again, the cost to benefit of having the grass-fed whey is gonna be in our favor because we're getting these bioactive compounds to build neurotransmitters, and they're in a synergy of a balance of a whole food, so we're not driving with supplementation of one compound. And I really don't recommend supplementing with neurotransmitters as single compounds unless you've done advanced testing because deficiency and excess symptoms can often be very confusing. So, you know, for glutamine, for instance, one of our go-tos is sugar cravings correlates with low glutamine. Um, and so sugar cravings can be addressed with glutamine supplementation and, and using three to five grams under your tongue, directly under the tongue, can actually help with creating GABA expression in the brain. And so GABA is our neuroinhibitory, more relaxing, calming compound that blocks impulse control. And so there's a direct connection of these amino acid building blocks and these helping for neurotransmitter expression. And they can help in, in also behavior management and like I said, impulse or cravings or addictive like tendencies. Um, but when glutamine gets too high in the brain, this can lead to things like brain fog, difficulty, difficulty concentrating, and hyperactivity disordered, and this is seen in, or migraines. Um, and so we can see the high glutamine in more of like MSG syndrome uh, or Chinese food syndrome dining out where they can drive like that hyperactivity and mania. So we get these amino acids from protein-rich foods. Eating ample protein in the diet is the best place to start. And then if we're looking deep into trends and looking at assessments, we can then use things like tryptophan to help as an intermediary compound of 5-HTP, which produces serotonin. This can be very therapeutic for individuals that are not on an SSRI or an MAO medication because we don't like to use the intermediary when we're on a medication that expresses its um, receptor. So, you know, that would only be sound for people that are not using an anti-anxiety or antidepressant drug. Then 5-HTP could be a beneficial compound to add in. Um, now, one that I do feel safe across the board recommending is L-theanine, and that's because L-theanine is not a direct building block, unlike the tryptophan, which builds serotonin, or the tyrosine, which builds dopamine. L-theanine helps as a modulator to our neurotransmitters. So this helps with the alpha waves in the brain. This helps with relaxation and concentration, as well as creative thought process and focus. Um, and so this is one that we could bring in preemptively to help with anxiety and um, relaxation without overshooting any one of those neurotransmitters if we have not done advanced testing. Got it. So L-theanine, good without testing. And then any of the other precursors, we would do some further assessment, which I right. think we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. And I mean, get, get high enough protein in your diet as the first line of defense and consider using that grass-fed way to help to get you there. Okay, so let's talk then about micronutrient focus as our final element here. And talking about anxiety, let's just touch on 
pyroluria, this condition um, that I don't know a whole lot about. So I'm interested to hear your take. Yeah, it's, it's actually bigger in the, in the European Union as far as large diagnostic criteria for anxiety and depression or mood instability. And it ties into basically it's, a, it's an abnormality in hemoglobin synthesis, so the making of red blood cells. And there's a chemical imbalance where there is a buildup of cryptopyroluria, um, which is a compound that can be measured in the urine. And in this um, byproduct buildup, there is a trapping and deficiency of B6 and zinc. Those are the two most widely spoken compounds that we talk about with the pyroluria, B6 and zinc. But then we can also see deficiency of biotin and GLA or our gamma linoleic acid. And so basically in this individual, when they're making red blood cells, which is a survival mechanism and a day-to-day -day ongoing production pathway, they make the um, excessive buildup of the cryptopylori, and those can trap nutrients, driving deficiency, which can drive mood instability. Okay, and so this condition can be linked with so many behavioral issues, especially autism spectrum disorder. Absolutely. And... Mm -hmm it can be resolved then with just supplementation? Yeah, it's, it's actually wild. They say four to six weeks of getting your zinc and B6 optimized can have a huge role in regulation of this pyroluria. And so it's something that it's a supplementation that has to be done chronically ongoing, obviously. Um, but supplementation can help to make up for that bound or trapped micronutrient deficiency pattern. Okay. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So four to six weeks um, of supplementation resolving versus again, chronic use of medication where the medication loses efficacy can cause other undesired side effects. So this is really a way that we can get to that root cause for sure. Okay. So in this same vein of micronutrients then, Allie, let's talk finally about food, my favorite topic. Yes. Um, so what are we looking to do just generally? And then let's do three food take-home ideas and then three supplement ideas. Yes. So when we're talking about foods, of course, we want to beyond eliminating those five inflammatory foods. So, right, we're talking about the gluten, corn, soy, we're talking about the industrialized oils uh, and the dairy foods. It's the first place to start. And you'd want to keep those foods out for six weeks and then slowly introduce each grouping one week at a time. Again, you could bring in the grass-fed whey at week three after you've been two weeks completely off of dairy to make sure that that's not a reaction for you. So once you've done that as your foundation and you're achieving glycemic index, so you're balancing out your carbs with protein and healthy fat, you're making sure you get ample forms of biologically available protein, which means from an animal product. Um, we want you to start there, I guess, is the first place to go. So foods that are dense in your amino acids and bioavailable forms of minerals and vitamins like the zinc and B6, we're going to see significant amounts of zinc in most meats. Um, Pasture-raised, grass-fed would be best. Um, but beef, bison are great forms. Even in the dark meats of your poultry, like your chicken and turkey, fish and salmon is a great form of zinc. And then there are vegetarian forms like pumpkin seeds and cashews and nuts and seeds. Oysters are also a great form of zinc chromium, as well as copper. And oysters are a great form of bioavailable forms of B vitamins. So your B12 and B6 are another great food within there. 
Um, we'd want to look at in your diet also getting a good amount of leafy green vegetables. So about two to three cups of leafy greens per day would be a food as medicine goal. This is going to help for regulation of the folic acid. We think of foliage um, as far as a food to get those vitamin Bs. Bs are most highly available though in liver and animal products again. So looking at beef liver, um, looking at also doing forms of, uh, we have a, a recipe on the blog for a really fantastic pate or liver pills. So getting organs is a great way to get those B vitamins in the most bioavailable form. And then we can get um, forms in our mushrooms. So shiitake mushrooms are actually a great form for both your vitamin D, which helps with mood stability and management. Vitamin D has been shown in research with deficiency trends driving anxiety and depression. And then also the mushrooms are going to help with the B vitamins as well. And then the last family of foods I'd focus on is going to be the glutathione. So glutathione, again, helps with that methylation process without driving over methylation. Glutathione also helps with detoxification and reduction of free radical overload, so it can reduce inflammation in the body. Um, so glutathione is going to be highest in your Eindol 3 carbonyl foods like your cruciferous vegetables, your cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, avocado is another great source. And then the building blocks for glutathione are cysteine. So cysteine is highest seen in your biological proteins. Uh, Elsa the grass-fed whey has a good amount. And the uh, glutamine is going to be um, the other building block. To make glutathione and this can be seen in our bone broth. Um, so a lot of trending foods that we tend to recommend um, and definitely the first and foremost is keeping that glycemic uh, balance in check. Okay so let's come up with, I'm going to challenge you Allie, to come up with a couple of dishes or we can do this together yes. um, that incorporate these zinc rich B vitamin and B6 rich foods, those folate rich, rich foods, glutathione and vitamin D. So what are some dishes that we could incorporate all of these or most of these in? Okay. So I think a really good seasonal one would be a pumpkin pie smoothie. Um, and so this could have organic canned pumpkin, um, which would give us some of that zinc and vitamin A. It would have uh, coconut milk as the base, and then it would have also some pumpkin pie spices, so your warming seasonings, of course. And we would add in grass-fed whey for support for the glutathione and garnish with pumpkin seeds for additional zinc. Um, so I think that that would be a good blend of our B vitamins, our zinc, our glutathione, and um, would cover a, a good amount of balance. And also it would have a nice carb to protein ratio using the starchy vegetable as the sweet. Um, and then if need be, you could add in maybe a half of a date, um, but that would be kind of based on your own taste preferences. Okay. And then we talked about liver pills and also that organ puree or pate it can be used either as a dip for vegetables yeah. or could be just incorporated like in a small amount. Um, I like to freeze these into little discs and add it to like a chili or a soup. Totally. Yep. So I think that'd be a, a great add on there and um, could be in an adult Lunchable per se. We both like to do those for sure. And then I think a really simple third meal option is um, as long as we're getting the yolks in the eggs, that's where the vitamin D would be. And that's where a lot of our um, active forms of B vitamins and things like choline, choline is kind of a cousin in the B vitamin family, which has been shown 
to help with neurological health. Uh, doing uh, egg scramble with vegetables um, would be a great thing, especially if you can incorporate some of those mushrooms in there and some leafy greens. So maybe spinach or kale and mushrooms um, in your um, egg scramble. And you could hold the dairy if you're under six weeks of your elimination um, and uh, top it with some avocado for extra glutathione. Bonus points. And maybe sprinkle some pumpkin seeds on top. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of different ways to get in foods from all of these groups. And we'll yes. post links to any other recipes on the show notes as well. Um, so we've got kind of a basic strategy down from this episode. But where do we start um, in terms of supplements, Allie? Yeah, so there's three supplements that we can start with preemptively to help with mood stability and anxiety. And the first go-to would be Calm and Clear. So Calm and Clear is a favorite formula of mine. It was one of the first uh, five that I came out with. And it is a synergistic blend of adaptogens and nervines. So adaptogens are herbs that help us to adapt to high stress demand. So that more stressed and wired mentality as well as nervines, which help us to be more calmative. So that's also for the stressed and wired individual. And the adaptogens can work on both ends of the spectrum. So adaptogens can also help the stressed and tired. The nervines especially are needed for that overreactive excitatory distressor, which is often in the anxious mindset. And so it's a blend of adaptogens and nervines, so both for stressed and wired and stressed and tired. And then it also has all of the B vitamins in their methylated forms to support neurotransmitter balance. A little bit of vitamin C, which is really focused on tonifying the adrenal glands as vitamin C is used in cortisol regulation. And then L-theanine. And L-theanine is that modulator I mentioned for the neurotransmitters in the brain. So Calm and Clear at three to six capsules a day is a first line of defense. It's the best return on your investment as far as just giving your brain and body foundational health. It can be appropriate for adrenal fatigue as well as excessive cortisol output. Um, so it's one that I feel very sound recommending to individuals and also safe with SSRIs or anti-anxiety or antidepressant medications. So one of those that's very sound tonifying formula um, and does have really good clinical outcomes. Okay. And then let's talk about my personal favorite for acute anxiety or um, anticipatory anxiety or anticipatory stress, Gabacalm. Yeah. So this is the one I took before the music class with Stella. <laughs> so yeah. So Gabacalm um, is more of an immediate onset. Um, it's taken as a chewable. And so the idea is that within about 10 to 15 minutes of chewing, helps to get right into the brain space as a neuroinhibitory compound. So it is a direct relaxer for our excitatory distress. Um, it just takes that white knuckle effect off of the wheel. And so I'll have, um, I, like I said, I, I use it personally before public speaking. Um, it's non-sedative, so we don't get dumbed down cognitively speaking. We still feel very acute and alert, um, but it really does take off that <gasps> tension or any of the physical responses to stress like tightness in the chest, um, a more racing heart rate, um, also can play a role with um, 
uh, irritability is a big one too. So more patience. Um, a lot of people will take it at like four o'clock in that transitional time to go pick up the kids from school, um, before parent teacher conferences, before doctor's appointments. There's varied uses for this. Um, Gabba Calm Chews can even be used, um, under supervision of a practitioner with children, especially for things like ADHD. So it's a great tool, can help with trauma, can help with stress. And um, the nice thing is it is pretty immediate acting, absolutely. So it can be used more as needed, whereas the Calm and Clear is more of a foundational formula that you're taking daily ongoing. Yeah, and the GABA Calm, I've noticed too, I get a little shaky when I have to give a big presentation and it helps with those tremors, like literally within 10 minutes, my hands will stop shaking. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes those of us that like mentally, we just muscle through the anxiety. That's the idea today, you know, is you don't have to. So how can you reduce the anxiety on a physiological level? And then how can you cope with it best is important as well. Yes. And then Allie, let's add one more supplement in here just for general wellness. Yeah, so we've spoke to multi-defense and that would be my third one on here. I was kind of toying behind multi-defense or the baseline probiotic or the EPA, DHA fish oil, but I would, do, I would choose multi-defense because multi-defense is going to give you those methylated forms of folate, methylcobalamin, that methyl B12. So we're getting those activated forms of our B vitamins. We're also going to get in there our zinc. We're going to get our minerals um, that help with mood stability. So we're going to get a good blanket approach for our micronutrient needs that play a role as um, the regulation system for our neurotransmitter expression. Got it. So a really good kind of insurance policy if it is just some kind of micronutrient imbalance or deficiency that's yeah. driving some of the anxiety. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And then let's just touch on the labs that we were talking about and some of the testing that we can do to further tailor our approach. Right. So if you're already taking multi-defense or a good quality micronutrient supplement that has methylated Bs and, you know, a good food-based antioxidant blend, then you may, and you're still dealing with symptoms, and especially you have other symptoms of deficiency, like changes in hair, like hair loss or weak nails or um, delayed recovery from exercise or inability to gain lean mass, um, you may consider doing our micronutrient blood test. And this is something that I like to run as a kind of annual wellness assessment on all of my active patients, you know, so if it is cost prohibitive, start with at least the multi-defense as your foundational micronutrient support. But if you have a financial capability to do so, it's, it's about $350. Um, this does look at about a three month average of your micronutrient status. So if you've made a dynamic change in your diet, um, or if you're dealing with symptoms and you really want to get to the root cause and be more strategic with more orthomolecular treatment, meaning higher dosed uh, treatment of micronutrients, that would be a place to start. And then if we wanted to go past the micronutrient piece, the other thing to look into that I've mentioned is a neurotransmitter assessment. So I would recommend the Neurohormone Complete Plus to get the entire picture, to look at the progesterone and estrogen relationship. Um, also for men, looking at the testosterone relationship with irritability and anxiousness. Uh, women too, but just saying, because men wouldn't look as much at the progesterone per se, um, even though they make that as well. And um, we could look at the Neurohormone Complete Plus for women or the Neurohormone Complete for men. That would include sexual hormones uh, as a salivary assessment, along with the adrenal steroid hormones, which is our cortisol and DHEA, 
So as we kind of skimmed over in this episode, elevated cortisol can drive significant anxiety. Um, and so that hand in hand, especially with then the neurotransmitters of the epinephrine and the adrenaline pathway can really drive that overexcited Tory kind of shakiness. So looking at both the steroidal output of the adrenals as well as the neurotransmitter production tells us the whole picture of what's going on. And then we can determine if we need to suppress or reduce cortisol expression, if we need to support the adrenals and help with productivity. And then on the neurotransmitter side, whether it is sound to work with something like 5-HTP or L-tyrosine or um, glutamate and kind of how we can target an approach on a therapeutic level to really get best clinical outcomes. Got it. So just to put some of this in order for listeners or kind of organize our thought process here in terms of where to start. Yes. Um, so really that foundational focus using those three base supplements as tools to kind of get above the water, if you will. And then it sounds like we'd go into elements of dysbiosis if we're dealing with that bloating, distension or bacterial influence. Um, and then the next line of defense would be really focusing on production of neurotransmitters, supporting the diet with the nutrients that are required. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And you know, if, if inflammation and glycemic index are not managed, it's going to be difficult to get outcomes. So this works as a really beautiful synergy because as you reduce the inflammatory foods and you lower your glycemic index, lowering your glycemic index helps to starve off the dysbiotic or overgrowth of bad bacteria. Um, you know, and also by regulating your glycemic index, you're probably bumping up your biological protein intake, which means likely you're getting more amino acids, zinc, and B6. So, you know, we're going to be getting more of the therapeutic building blocks with less of those inflammatory irritants. Okay. So I think we've covered a lot of really good tools for listeners in terms of getting started with holistic management, if you will, of anxiety and managing it from a whole body perspective. Um, so we'll put our links out as always in the show notes to this podcast. So that's found at AllieMillerRD.com backslash podcast. And just remember, start these steps one at a time, breathe through the process. And we are absolutely here to support you and work with you on this journey. Yes. It's always about what you can manage. Don't allow this episode to create pending stress, <laughs> right? So think about where you can start. Maybe you heard one or two aha moments and then commit to those. And, and it's a layering process. So we're so uh, honored to be a part of your journey and um, please keep us updated on how you're doing with the process. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.